Welcome to episode three of the On Twos podcast. My name is Nathan Talon, and across from me is Lucas Asita. And we're back to continue the spooky season. This week, we're talking about Leica Studios' debut feature, um, Coraline, directed by Henry Selleck, the yeah. same director of Nightmare Before Christmas. Some people think that Tim Burton directed Nightmare Before Christmas, but that is incorrect. <laughs> Um, Henry Selleck directed both that and Coraline, and you can definitely see the similar styles between both. Sure. Um, it's based on a Neil Gaiman novella of the same name, Coraline. Um, and honestly, the art style on the cover looks pretty close to what they did to, in the movie, so that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I thought, I always think about like if um, an author kind of writes something, uh, thinking of, you know, real people live action stuff and then it gets adapted to an animated movie how they might feel about that Mm -hmm. but from interviews and stuff like that it seems like neil gaiman was like all about it and they think that they perfectly represented his vision oh that's awesome so that's pretty sweet because i know that they like it it is true to the to the original story but they added a whole bunch to it so you know i I mean the the uh novella is only 163 pages so Mm -hmm. you think especially like in a book a lot of that's just kind of describing what we see on the screen so yeah. you'd cut out that the plot's probably you know 50 pages or so yeah i think actually. i was reading something that said that like if they just wanted to do a true adaptation of the original story it'd be like 47 minutes yeah. and this ended up being like 100 minutes yeah. so they really mm-hmm. had... which is interesting that you see usually stop motion movies tend to aim right for that 90 minute mark to hit yeah. that feature yeah. but You'll see it with Leica. They like tend to go over. Same thing with uh, similar um, kind of thing is with Hayao Miyazaki. With hand, same thing with hand drawn. They like to hit that ninety minutes because, of course, the more minutes you add, that's more and more work that you got to do. Oh, right. his stuff. We're talking months and months and months. Always two hours plus, and his is all like hand drawn and it's insane. So that's why people praise him and also kind of Leica's. They they tend to hit like forty minutes. I mean. Um, an hour 40 for like each of their movies but they from we'll talk about it later but they definitely put the work in on their movies yeah. um so Coraline follows an 11 year old girl after a cross-country move uh unhappy with her current life Coraline seeks solace in an idealized other world but after a couple nights she starts to realize that maybe her world isn't so bad after all so without further ado let's do a deep dive into like a studio's Debut feature, Coraline. Making up a song about Coraline. She's a peach, she's a doll, she's a pal of mine. She's as cute as a button in the eyes of everyone who ever laid their eyes on Coraline. When she comes around exploring mom and I will never ever make it boring, our eyes will be on Coraline. So overall, before we even jump into it, this was your first time watching it. Yep, I hadn't seen it. So how are you feeling? You, I heard you were prepped kind of going in thinking that it was creepy. Com- like yeah, my girlfriend. animated movie. Um, I mean, she just doesn't like scary movies in general. Um, but no, this one for sure creeped her out when she first watched it. And even now, she doesn't necessarily love to watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, it being October fits perfect. Yeah. You know, I, I guess I, I wasn't sure how it could be that creepy. And it did not disappoint. Yeah. I was like, oh, crap, if this is... Okay, so the, I, it was a completely different audience than I thought it was yeah. made for. 
Uh, but I, you know, I I loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of the subject matter is pretty dark. Oh yeah, for what you yep. know, we're talking dead children, so that's pretty interesting. Um, but like speaking of just setting the tone instantly, the opening sequence kind of starts off in this kind of POV first person. You get to see these kind of needle-looking fingers start constructing this doll that looks like our main protagonist, Coraline, and it's basically she's gets a doll back from wherever and starts to work on it and transferring it and making it look like a different person who we later find out is Coraline. Yellow jacket, blue hair and all, um, with button eyes. And um, the opening sequence kind of ends with um, her just dropping the doll into this void. And then we just cut into... I, I was literally confused at the first scene because I'm sitting there watching and I'm looking at you and I'm like, is this, this isn't stop, stop motion? This isn't stop motion, is it? They're freaking putting like a tiny little piece of fabric through a needle. It's like, no, what that? Just literally Money. from the start, you're just like, oh. Oh, these people oh, know what they're doing. <laughs> okay. It's like this. Okay. Yeah. So that's like one of the main things is it's just a cool kind of sequence. Uh, just an opening credit sequence um, kind of sets the tone. Um, one of those things where it's not necessarily needed. I mean, because you get the information later on um, about what it's about, but it definitely sets the tone. I love the POV kind of nature, kind of hiding who's making this doll. Sure. Um, And just cool design on the hands that we see. Yeah, they're like super, super thin. Yeah, they're like Like needles. Yeah, they're definitely needles of their own. Mm -hmm. I just, I can't even imagine having to be that precise. Mm -hmm. Because when you're dealing with something that small, to get it perfect, to, I don't even want We'll, we'll talk it about it. It stresses me out even thinking about it. Um, but anyway, so Coraline moves across country. She moves to a place up in Oregon um, called the Pink Palace Apartments, um, which is actually pretty fun to say, Pink Palace Apartments. Um, and, of course, what it sounds like is it's just a pink building. has three apartments, um, top floor, ground level, and then a basement kind of apartment. Um, and we get to see that... Um, her parents, of course, are the ones that wanted this move. Coraline, like in typical fashion, young kid, doesn't really want to move, left some friends, is in this whole new environment, and is surrounded by like caricatures of neighbors. Um, so she just sets off and kind of starts exploring the area like a young kid would do. She kind of stumbles upon this well, or she's looking for this well that's kind of rumored to be around it. Um, out in this area, and we get a shot that looks like someone with a mask is, like, watching her. And he comes on down on his motorbike, skirts out, and he lifts it up, and he's just another kid named YB, which stands for Y-Born, which is pretty bad. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, we never learn about his parents, so that's just freaking weird. Yep. But um, that's just a little note that's kind of added to this um, already bizarre movie. Um, but YB is has a friend with him as well, this black cat that seems to kind of have an interesting personality for a cat. And Coraline kind of takes note. And one thing about YB is that he just doesn't shut up. So Coraline, pretty reserved, but she definitely has a bit of a personality to her as well. Is already pissed off by having to move. So she's kind of off-put, kind of standoffish with YB and kind of heads back to the apartment. And when we're back there, we kind of see, I mean, already stellar production design that is amplified when we get to the other um, world, but everything's kind of bland. 
uh, grays, really. Her parents wear grays and, like, faded greens and stuff like that. And um, so we see that her parents are very focused on their jobs. And they kind of they write stuff for gardening magazines, even though they hate the mud and they hate outside. So it's a very interesting dynamic there, which is kind yeah, of... Yeah, the fact that they move somewhere where it's just constantly raining. You yeah. see that too, so... Yeah, it's just constantly pouring outside. But as she gets back, her um, you get kind of a, a look into their relationship. Um, the mom's definitely just focus on her work is kind of like go explore, go do whatever. You're going to have to get used to this. And it's kind of getting a little upset that Coraline's being like this about the move and everything like that. And then she goes to see her dad and her dad is literally just slaving away at a computer, got boxes stacked up all the way in his room. They're clearly not really focused on moving out. They're just doing their job. And um, Coraline's mom hands her a doll and says that YB kind of brought this over for you he says he found it um and he said it looks like you and yeah it looks like you're identical i'd be a little creeped out if i found <laughs> oh it's that new girl that moved here and this doll is by my house that's kind of weird yeah it is weird why why would you bring this over to... but anyway so Coraline kind of gets this doll that's literally identical to her and she's of course a little weirded out by it but she she accepts it and is kind of holds on to it and um as a new a kid that moves into a new house kind of does she starts to explore the house on her own she gets it we get a nice little montage of her um kind of going through each of the rooms of the house which is, does a great job of um establishing um kind of like the layout of the house and everything yep yep which is a perfect um, we get a fun little scene um, of her accidentally shutting off the power, and her dad gets pissed off. Yeah, because he's working on a computer, yeah. so when she does that, he loses everything. Yeah, you and get the, the classic, no! Yeah, it's perfect. Um, but something that's interesting is that her doll kind of goes missing, and she's wondering where her doll went. And she looks over in the living room, and it's kind of there, kind of hidden behind a box, and she moves the box, and she finds the outline of this kind of little crawl space door. And she's like, oh, interesting. And, of course, as a kid, you're just curious. Curiosity kind of overwhelms you. And so she calls out for her mom to kind of um, see if there's a key in the key drawer that goes to this door because she wants to see what's behind it. And we get an awesome shot of just the mom opening up the drawer and all the keys are shuffling around, which has to be a knife. (laughs) Literally can't even imagine. (laughs) And she just pushes aside a bunch of them, grabs a key that kind of looks like a button on the edge and then um, brings it over kind of cuts out the shape of the door unlocks it and it's literally just a brick wall behind it and of course Coraline looking for any escape is kind of just sad and defeated and she goes to lay down for the night uh, after uh, a terrible dinner where it's just vegetables that seem to be cooked poorly Um, and she always she asked her mom how come you never cook for us how come dad's always the one to cook and she's like yeah, i do the stuff your dad cooks the stuff blah blah blah, blah. and the dad sucks it looks like because that stuff looks unappetizing it's yeah, all hell i know the feeling <laughs> but for sure uh we can just see that more and more Coraline's just not happy with where she is she even lays down grabs a picture of her friends back home and she's just reminiscing of 
you know, a better life. And as she goes to bed, uh, we get Luca's favorite part of the movie, and we get to see these little mice kind of crawl into her room. That's messed up. And uh, they get her attention and lead her at night to the little trap door. They just disappear into it. And she's like, what the heck? Opens it, and we just get this beautiful kind of purple-blue spiraling kind of tunnel. Oh, so odd. Well, they set it up beautifully because everything before that, you know, it's so dull outside. It's rainy. You know, there's mud everywhere. Even inside, like the walls are painted very dull colors. Everything is just plain, you know. So you can imagine a kid, Coraline specifically, who is just full of all this, you know, she's got all this Mm -hmm. built-up energy and creativity and whatnot. She's these bright colors. She's got blue hair. She's wearing a bright yellow Instantly draws her in. Yeah, so this is the first time that we see, like, these vibrant colors that kind of match her personality. Mm -hmm. So she's climbing down the tunnel, and you're like, whoa, this is freaking awesome. Yeah, Yeah. and it's, yeah, it's just um, a testament to the production design as well, separating these two worlds and making... One definitely look more enticing than the other. Oh, absolutely. And we see her kind of crawl through when she enters into um, the other world for the first time. And this other world is just looks identical to hers, except brighter. Everything's kind of, they're unpacked, they're moved out. They have the walls painted, the fireplace is going. And she hears her mom's voice call out for her. Um, and she goes kind of in the kitchen. And we get a reveal of the mom turning around, and she has buttons for eyes. And Freight paint. Which is, yeah, a little bit jarring, I'd say. Something abnormal to most. At this point, if I was, like, six, I'd be like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, here we go. Uh... But, um, and then something fun to note is just the designs of everything and how they mirror the real world. Um, like, this first time that we see the other mother, she's wearing, like, a turtleneck. And it's because, like, her other mother has, I mean, her real mother has, like, that neck brace on Mm -hmm. because they got into a car accident or something. So we get, like, just the mirrors of the two. And we get to see more when we go into the dad's office. Um, And we see that the mom, the other mother, and she calls herself the other mother as well. So she's... You got to bear with us because we're going to be throwing other mother... Other, other mother, 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 other world. You got to, you got to, I don't know. Because there's, there's a small cast of characters, but there's two of them. And they have the same name. (laughs) So you got to roll with the punches with us on this one. Um, But the other mother um, is cooking dinner, which is very interesting. And it looks just delectable. And she says, how about you go get um, your father for dinner? And she's like, oh, okay. She goes to the father's office. And now we see that instead of these boxes kind of stacked to the ceiling we get these bookshelves and stuff like that that kind of replace that instead of a computer he has a piano and then um as Coraline walks in the dad of course acknowledges her but goes into the jam of the century oh the five star banger which you heard a little snippet of earlier in the podcast but um yeah we get this awesome sequence that once again, no idea how long this took them. Melted just a, my face off. Just 360 camera going around him as these hands come out of the piano and start to play it. Um, and the fun little line is he says that he doesn't play the piano, the piano plays him, kind of puts the hands in the gloves and starts playing the piano, struck in the keys um, to play this kind of basically the theme song of Coraline. Yeah. And, of course, the after that's all done, they all join at the table and uh, Coraline sitting there with them, definitely weirded out, but also kind of 
liking what's going on here, even though they have button eyes, which is just instantly off-putting. Mm-hmm. Um, but the food, she's like eating the food and it's like, wow, mom, you never cook. And then she's like, well, I always cook over here. And basically you can already start to see the seeds of her. Yeah. Like kind yep. of enticing her over. Um, but yeah, so Coraline eats this meal. She loves it. Every second of it. She loves the conversation that she's having with her parents. And then the parents put her to bed and we get to see this awesome kind of match cut, match dissolve, match whatever. Uh, and there's a bunch of them in this movie. Oh, a ton of them. Um, but she transitions back and we go from all these bright pinks and stuff in a room back to the grays of the real world. Mm-hmm. And we're start, we have to question if it was a dream or not. Um, but she sees... Um, a little remnant because earlier in the movie she touched a branch that was poison oak and once she was on the other world um, the other mother gave her like a remedy and the rash disappeared and when she wakes up the rash is gone so there's a little nugget of maybe this was all real mm-hmm. um, so as we continue uh, Coraline this day kind of spends it meeting the neighbors a little bit goes upstairs kind of talks to uh, she goes out uh, gets the mail, notices that she's getting mail from the neighbors and stuff. So she goes up to talk to Bobinski, which is this long, stretched out. I guess he was a Chernobyl worker, <laughs> is like the backstory there. So he's all blue and everything. Um, and he's kind of like a gymnastics expert, a performer at heart, um, voiced by Ian McShane, which is pretty cool. Um, and he's kind of has these dancing mice or these jumping mice that he's perform he's like prepping them for a show and i know luca really loved this um already too much mice but i try to go to the the bathroom every time i showed up no they have one of the best sequences they're one of the best sequences in the movie but so we get to see bobinski's a little creepy but you know there may be something there he's got these jumping mice that he's trying to train and he's also in love with beats for whatever reason but also the downstairs neighbors are these two um, past-their-prime actresses. Um, I got their names down here somewhere. Um, but let me see, because they're freaking weird names. Spink and Forcible. Mrs. Spink and Mrs. Forcible. And they're just characters, man. They, you go down and you see on the wall all of their dogs kind of stuffed and mounted, and they all have the same... They get the same breed every single time. And, um, yeah, it's just a bizarre kind of situation. Um, yeah, they're Scottish Terriers. Yeah. And they and they got, like, three of them wandering around now. But Coraline kind of looks up at the wall and notices just all of them kind of in angel wings and everything. And she's like, okay. And, once again, awesome testament to just character design and everything. I was just about to say, like, the, the character design is definitely a take. Yeah. Like, they went for it. Yeah, and I applaud it, especially, like, it just, even with Bobinski and everything, it just matches their personality that they set up so well. Mm-hmm. And similar to Wallace and Gromit, it just oozes the charm of the movie. Um, and they offer her kind of this taffy, and she tries to get some, and it flings up and gets stuck to the roof or whatever. She's like, all right, I'm leaving. And she bounces and goes back home. Um so when she goes uh, and she goes to bed this time, she kind of leaves a little cheese by the door to see if the mice might come back. Of course, they take the bait like a bunch of idiots and they lead her back to the um, 
crawl space door. And of course she opens it up and it's just purple and blues. And it's once again, the tunnel to the other world. And as she goes over this time, um, the other mother is expecting her. She welcomes her, her back in with um, open arms. And she kind of says that, um, is this the time that we get like another dinner table thing and we get that awesome shot? That is the money shot of the week for me where it goes through. It's like a train on the dinner table mm -hmm. and it goes through the train tunnel, which you know they had to build I some freaking so set for. <laughs> There's so many times I'm watching stuff like that. Like the Walsh and Grandma yeah. thing specifically blew my mind, but this is another one I'm like back to back. Just I can't no even idea. imagine how you even go about doing that. It's like you think about it and you think, about getting a camera mm -hmm. through this hole, and it's already built smaller. You need like a GoPro or something. Well, that so tiny. they they probably built multiple sets for this oh, one I'd shot. Imagine just for the one. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But after dinner, she says that a friend's over here to come play with her, and she's like, "Oh God, YB." But the other mother notices what she kind of dislikes about YB in the real world, and kind of YB in this world just doesn't talk at all. Just. It's a companion, no talking, which is a little interesting and a little creepy in and of itself. But Coraline's all for it because she freaking hates when YB talk. It's great because it's like this other world is so tempting with everything. The food's great, you know. It's just these vibrant colors. Like you, that you'd be so addicted to it almost. Yeah. But you can tell that there's this glooming cloud over yeah. everything. Like I don't know if I can really fully like mm -hmm. live in this yeah. world. And it's it's one of those things which is like kind of like the physical embodiment of it's too good to be true yeah that's know? exactly what there's this darkness clue you know the whole time that all this great stuff is happening you still have mm -hmm. a hint a little creepiness mm -hmm. with the, with button, the button eyes. eyes and stuff like that yeah it's clearly not what you would say um is normal and of course sometimes especially when you're younger you want to seek escape in whatever avenue you can and uh especially with how distraught Coraline was over her world now it makes sense that and we get more information on that later as well. But this time they get to go up to Mr. Uh, Boblinski or however you say his name, Boblinski. They go up to his because the other mother said that, hey, he prepped a performance for you. So they go in there and we get this amazing sequence, which has got to be another nightmare for them to do of these 50 jumping mice putting on a show for um, other YB and Coraline. And it's just a giant spectacle, once again, kind of luring Coraline in, showing how much fun this world is. Um, and by the end of it, you know, she had another great day and or great night in the other world. And she goes back to sleep, and we get the same exact kind of fade from the purples and pinks to the grays of her room. Um, and she's kind of sad once again by that. Um, I don't really remember what happens on in the real world at this point, mm -hmm. but it's not important because she just goes and has, once again, probably off-put by um, society. I think it's when she uh, talks to YB, and YB's starting to tell her about um, his grandmother mm -hmm. and how her, his um, grandmother's sister went missing, and uh, he's not allowed in the apartments and everything like that because of what... Um, his grandmother kind of went through, and his grandmother's the um, kind of like landlady. Yeah, she kind of kinda owns everything. Yeah, so. so it's kind of interesting that he's kind of um, has to stay back from the Pink Palace, which is a place that his own grandmother owns, which is 
just an interesting little tidbit of knowledge that in no way will come back later. Um, so when she goes to the world this time, uh, she gets to talk to Wybie's cat a little bit. The cat kind of shows up. And he doesn't have button eyes or anything and kind of talks to her and is voiced by Keith David, which is perfect and not any voice that you would expect this cat to talk. And they kind of have an interesting conversation where I forgot exactly what the line, but it's basically some playful banter back and forth of Coraline saying, you're not supposed to talk and everything. And he's like, am I not supposed to talk or, or can you not listen or stuff like that? It's like awesome kind of back and forth. Um, and it's just apparent that in this world, the cat can talk and somehow he's getting to and fro mm -hmm. this other world and the world, the real world. Uh, but this time she meets up um and kind of goes down to the basement of the Pink Palace Apartments and sees the show that um, Spink and Forcible are prepping for her. And you kind of walk in, we get the shot where all of the dogs kind of turn their head. They're all filling up this auditorium, and they all turn their head kind of like in a similar motion. She sits down next to YB. YB's there waiting for her. And we get another sequence of basically just alluring Coraline in with how much fun it is. And once again, beautifully animated. And we get to, we'll touch on it later, but they like a released a video kind of walking through just one frame of animation for this sequence. And it's stupid. It's stupid, dude. <laughs> like the amount of effort that goes into this is insane. But it, it, it pays off because the, the sequence is once again awesome. You get some cool POV trapeze sort of stuff, which is mm -hmm. insane. Don't know how they shot that either. Um, but by the end of it... Um, you get another great day kind of in the other world. Um, let's see where we go now. So back in the real world, um, we kind of get this sequence with another kind of meetup with YB, and YB's just talking. It's all foggy outside, which is kind of a cool visual, maybe a sense of impending doom there. Um, but YB's like, fishing for slugs or whatever this kid does he's a weirdo um cool mask though with the different kind of vision things or whatever asked to take pictures you can see Coraline's kind of starting to warm up a little bit she's definitely not as gloomy whether this is a thing from experiencing the other world at night or whether it's just maybe she's accepting where she's at now um but as she goes and goes to bed and kind of awaits the other world this time um they go out and we get to see as of course every time she's there the other the other mother is very welcoming of it but every single time we start to get more and more she gets a little bit more pushy and this time she kind of says that her father has something to show you she goes outside and we get to see this awesome sequence of this um garden that's kind of in front of the pink palace which in the real world is all dead and gloomy like most things over there um but we see that everything starts to bloom and everything starts to light up and she gets in this little helicopter thing with um, her father and they fly up and it looks like Coraline's head like her face awesome shot don't know how they did that either but it's awesome looking lighting of course in this movie as well is brilliant and all of this is kind of lit up as different colors um, but after this kind of sequence she goes to sit down and eat at the table and um, the other mother kind of offers her a box and offers her a choice and says that she loves her and wants her to live here forever. And the only way that's possible is if uh, 
she sews on. She gets her own button eyes, and she opens the box, and there's buttons with a needle and thread there. There it is. And that's pretty uh, yike city. And, yep. of course, uh, Coraline. Oh, and we get this awesome kind of shot where she's like, oh, if black's not your style, you can do pink, you can do yellow, you can do... Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay, this is starting to get a little weird. Definitely. Honestly, if we break down the game plan here, Other Mother probably jumped the gun a little bit. Yeah. Maybe could have... She almost had it, too. Yeah, maybe she could have did some magic on the other world to make stuff worse, and then you, get, then you hook them in. But yeah, she jumped the gun for sure on this one. I mean, what, four nights and you're already asking? Come on, what are you doing? But anyway, of course, Coraline declines and other mothers starts to get the um, sense that she might never come back. So she kind of takes Coraline. She kind of stretches out a little bit, not necessarily in the normal form anymore, but a little elongated. Instantly looks creepier. Kind of grabs Coraline and throws her into this, basically a cell. Um, and in this cell, we kind of see this bad elf in the corner and these three ghosts of children <laughs> just come out and basically do an exposition dump on us. Um, but these three, one of the three children um, is uh, YB's uh, grandmother's sister, twin <gasps> sister, which is a shame. And she's young too. We're talking eight. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Um, but they basically talk about how the other mother isn't the other mother. Um, it's an entity called the Beldum. And, the Beldum. And the Beldum basically plants these dolls in the real world, and she spies through the eyes to see why children are unhappy and what can basically what's making their life so unhappy, and how she can lure them in by making in the um, appealing kind of other reality for these children and that's how she lures them in and then by doing the button ceremony or whatever it is she basically steals their souls and kind of lives off of that mm-hmm. awesome creature design awesome kind of entity i don't know if it's based on anything if neo game and base it on a different thing but of course there's stuff in mythology and stuff like that of things that take children and to take their souls but like yeah it's called the beldum and basically all she's after is Coraline's soul. She doesn't care about giving her an actual enjoyable reality. But as this happens, YB kind of smashes the mirror that she's stuck behind We re- is revealed, and it's the other YB. And since um, he was kind of frowning the last time, it's kind of stitched up into a smile, which mm-hmm. is, once again, get out of there, Coraline, as fast as you can. Um, but the other YB kind of saves her, and Coraline's able to get back into... Um, the real reality, not without the Beldum kind of getting a little angry and starts to get more and more agitated as Coraline started to cause some problems for her. Um, on the, uh, once we're back on the normal side, she definitely never wants to go back there again. She's like locks the door and everything and kind of puts the key away or whatever. And the parents are kind of prepping for this convention i don't know necessarily what it is it's like this weird gardening convention they're going to show off their magazine and to the people and hopefully people enjoy it and people will buy it and stuff like that um as the dad kind of gets off and starts to uh, set it up uh, the mom kind of takes Coraline um school uniform shopping and we get this kind of sequence of she's just laying on these grays and stuff and Coraline kind of finds these little gloves that she wants mm-hmm and of course they're colorful yellow and green 
um, Packers colors, but we're not going to talk about that. Yeah. Um, but the mom says, no, 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 put that back, you know. So once again, Coraline's still not happy, but um, she's starting, like she's still, even though she doesn't like that reality, we start to see that her relationship with her parents really isn't the greatest. But as um, the mom takes her back home, um, the mom kind of goes off to um, go to the convention with the dad or the show off with the dad after she drops Coraline back off. And um, Coraline kind of goes to bed, wakes up, and her parents are still gone. And you're like, okay, well, where did her parents go? This is very interesting. Could they possibly be taken by the Belladon <gasps> to get to lure her back into the... Dun, dun, dun. So um, once Coraline starts to get this kind of, we get this like brutal scene where she like basically sleeps in her parents' bed and is like rough, cuddling up with pillows, trying to get this image in her head that her parents are still there. And we get this scene where she goes back to Spink and Forcible's house and um, kind of asks them for help to find what is missing. They say, oh, we know exactly what you need. And they kind of take out the taffy again. She's like, oh, no, please. I don't want any more taffy. <laughs> they kind of just break it all up and create um, an adder stone, um, which is one of those things you see, like the triangles with the circles, kind of what they use on Ouija boards and stuff like that. Kind of creepy. But they said that this will help you find what's missing. So Coraline kind of gets all geared up. She realizes... Um, what she has to do and she has to go to the other side and save her parents um so once she's all geared up she gets the key kind of goes back uh through the door crawls back through and is met of course by the other mother in her stretched out kind of weird form the beldum um she says oh you've come back to whatever get the button eyes or whatever and she's like no how about we play a game because that's one thing the Beldum loves is games. And she basically says, if I can find these three, the three souls of the children and my parents, then you got to, or if I can find the three souls, then um, you got to let me go back with my parents and all this stuff. And of course the Beldum is like, yeah, sure, but you got time. And if you win, you get your parents back. But if I win, you have to stay here forever. And of course it's like, all right, we're setting the stakes for the final showdown here. I love that. Yeah. And uh, especially once something's a little established later on, which is pretty cool. Um, but anyway, so then she, we go kind of on this quest to get these three souls. Um, and they're all from kind of the set pieces earlier. So she goes outside and she's at the garden and she's looking around and she takes out the little adder stone and kind of looks through it and sees that it's like the gear shift on this like praying mantis type thing that's cutting up stuff. Um, and we get this awesome kind of little set piece action scene, very colorful and stuff like that. And then the plants and stuff are starting to turn on Coraline and things like that. But at the end of the day, the dad kind of helps her out, the other dad. Um, and he's like basically turned into a zombie at this point and gives her the this little orb, the parking shift, or not the shift, the gear shift. Um, and that's one of the souls. That's where one of the souls is stored of the children. And so she's got one down, two more to go. So she goes up to where um, Bobinski kind of lives, and that was where we had the jumping mice kind of set piece. She goes in there, and, re and it's kind of she finds out that the 
um, the ball, the little bouncy ball is what's keeping this um, soul, that's what the soul's stored in. Um, and we get to see this like definitely kind of eerie sort of animated Bobinski where it's like the mice are basically controlling his body, which I'm sure you love. Um, and he's kind of slinking around. But by the end of it, she gets that soul as well. She's got one more left. Um, and she kind of goes into, um, she loses the Adder Stone, but she still needs to go through. She looks up at the moon, and more and more as time passes, the button starts to cloud the moon, which is pretty sweet. Um, the first time you see it, it's only a little bit, so you think that just the moon's kind of getting blocked out. But the second time you see it, look, you can make out that it's a button. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, she goes down to where Spink and Forcible are and um, kind of sees that it's kind of a weirdly lit spotlight on the stage, sort of auditorium now. Goes up there, sees that there's this orb in the, like the ring on the hand, and she goes to reach for it. And they close down on her, and they're made of taffy now, and they all, that's like a jump scare for a kid's movie, and they're all sliming around everything, but she ends up getting that ring as well. Of course. And so now she's got all three, and she has to go confront the Beldum and basically say, hey, look what I got. I got all three. Now you got to give me my parents and everything. So, of course, she goes there. Um, and um, before Coraline even started the game, the Beldum kind of had the key and swallowed it, correct, at this point? Yeah. Yeah. So then as she sits down and kind of basically says that I won, yeah. you got to give me a clue of where my parents are. I forget what the clue is, but they're in the snow globe. They're in the snow globe that is kind of the only thing that's kind of unpacked in the real world too um, on the fireplace, the mantle there. And so um, the cat comes in kind of is like, all right, you got to use your brain if you want to um, get out of here. So basically tricks the Beldum into unlocking the door for Coraline before she can smash the globe and kind of get out of there. Mm -hmm. And she throws the cat at the yeah. Beldum, basically sacrifices this. I, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> like, that's a pretty bold plan. Yeah. It's kind of messed up yeah. that this cat's helping you out, and you're like, all right, Time to great, throw you throwing you directly <laughs> The villain of the movie. So then the Beldum, of course, gets pissed off at that. Yep. Stretches out to a real form, which is this arachnid kind of, like we saw earlier, those needle hands. Um, and we get this awesome set piece where um, the living room that we saw multiple times kind of turns into a web. Yeah. Which is insane. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. The way that it's lit, too. But um, the um, the cat kind of claws out the Beldum's eyes, so she's left blind, and we get this kind of cool sequence where Coraline's in the web, and she's making these plucks on the web to kind of find where um, Coraline is, like an actual spider would, which I thought was awesome. But of course, Coraline outsmarts her, gets to the door, closes it, a hand makes it through. She slams it, breaks off the hand, and kind of starts crawling back through this thing that's dusted now, this dusted tunnel, back to the real world, and kind of slams the door. They um, build the tension there really nice because oh, they awesome. like cut like yeah closer and closer with the door. It's freaking great. Um, and then of course she's back in the real world, stressed out of her mind. Turns around, her parents walk in, snow covering them because they were in the snow globe. They're like, why are you freaking out and stuff? Because that's the thing where the parents had no idea what just happened. They just woke up like, 
you know, they just appeared how they thought that they were appeared. And they're like, we have no idea what you're talking about. They're like, well, what about the snow on you? And it starts to melt as soon as he says that. Um, and so I forget what happens, like how she gets this information where she kind of lays down and she's kind of accepting that, you know, she beat it. But it gets to the point where um, all the kids come to her. The souls of the kids come to her in like this vision and basically say that she won't stop at nothing as long as the key's still out there. Mm-hmm. So then we get to see this cut of the claw kind of poke out from underneath the thing and do this scratch on the door, which is freaking beautifully animated. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh, no, it's not done. So the next day, Coraline kind of basically... Oh, I think it's even at night. She goes and she brings this, um, the key out to the well, and her plan is to just chuck it down the well. Um, but as she's doing that, uh, the claw is also following her, and we get this sweet shot of the claw with Coraline in the background as that's in the foreground. Mm-hmm. And as she's about to do it, the claw kind of takes her, grabs her, and the plan is, of course, to pull her back to the other world. But YB shows up in the nick of time and basically smashes the claw and prevents it from uh, capturing Coraline. And, of course, they grab it, the key, toss it into the well, and live happily ever after. But that does not stop them from having this little um, garden shindig for the little neighborhood. And we get to see all our characters one last time, and that more and more color is starting to be added to the world. Mm -hmm. Um, The parents are facing their fears of mud, and they're starting to grow some stuff in the garden. and we get to see all the characters kind of reconvene and get to see, we get this awesome little shot of Bobinski unplanting all these flowers and putting beets in the ground, which is just stupid, but <laughs> I ate it up. And um, we finally get to see YB's uh, grandmother kind of comes over as well, showing that she recognizes that maybe this threat has been stopped, you know? Mm-hmm. And we get an awesome kind of final shot of just the sign that we saw from the opening yeah. of the movie of them moving in and the cat kind of just walks behind the sign and disappears. And there we go. Coraline. Coraline. There it is. For me personally, I love this movie. It was one of the things where, you know, you always hear about Coraline. It's a pretty ingrained in pop culture, I feel, at least um, kind of in the spooky kids movie sort of thing. Um, I watched Kubo and Paranorman before I watched this, and I already loved what they did with those two movies. Um, I personally like Paranorman more than Kubo, and I think I'm in the minority there, but... Um, Paranorman was even kind of like a little spooky thing. So See, I haven't seen either of those. I mean, I've seen, seen a ton of Kubo yeah. just because it's regard. When I was at Columbia, it was regarded as like the greatest thing ever. We'll 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 definitely jump into some more like yeah. stuff later yep. on. Um, especially since you haven't seen any, which is crazy. Um, but yeah, this I I went back and watched this one because it was on Netflix. I saw, and of course, it was made in two thousand nine. So instantly, my brain goes like, okay. It's still going to be that like a quality animation, but it will probably be rougher compared to the other ones. It's literally on the same level. Some of the stuff may be even their best work still in this movie, which is insane. I think they were firing on all cylinders when it came to this movie. And um, yeah, I just like the style of it. I like the animation. I love the characters and I love the story as well. And I'm, I'm glad that it doesn't shy away from kind of approaching those dark uh, like it has a pretty no, dark narrative that for might be movie. what i like the most about it is that it i don't know when you think of like 
scary movies and that sort of thing. There's like the really scary stuff for adults, yeah. and then there's like kids' scary movies. So you're thinking, oh, this is going to be kind of somewhere. It's perfectly just a nice blend of both. Yeah. Um, like it's this childlike stop motion looking feature, but it's just got these these horrible yeah. like. I don't know, man. I loved how gritty it was. Yeah, you I know? mean, it's a dark narrative. Like, yeah. Like, that's the only way to describe it. It's not very, there's not very many bright spots yeah. in the story besides, you know, reconnecting with the parents and stuff like that. But, like, even then, the real world's still kind of gray and stuff like that. Absolutely. Um, But, yeah, I just appreciate, and especially, like, it being stop motion, something innately about stop motion is a little creepy. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because, I mean, it's technically puppets moving, mm-hmm. which is kind of crazy. Um, and so that kind of, I feel like that's like a perfect way to adapt the story as well. I think it's just a match made in heaven for this kind of um, source material in this movie. And I think it was a great way for Leica to kind of come out swinging when Absolutely, it came to yeah, de- yeah. debut in their style. And um, I think it was a great idea to kind of bring in Henry Selleck on to kind of direct this one he was actually just brought on to Leica in general as like a supervising director and uh, after Coraline they parted ways but um yeah I think it's everything just kind of meshes so well and is a match made in heaven and I guess now we can kind of jump into a little of the behind the scenes stuff some stuff um, that we enjoyed about it um anything specifically that you wanted to touch on right away um, I'm trying to think, like, the thing that I think at first that I just, that really caught my eyes, that all the characters or puppets or whatever you would refer them as, like, their clothing, like, they're wearing actual material. Yeah. So, like, a leather jacket is, like, real, like, a leather jacket. And it's, like, just knowing that they had to animate, like, real fabrics. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And even just the, like, there's a costume designer on this movie, and she is literally sewing tiny sweaters for these characters to wear and stuff like that and i thought it was awesome for like the little behind the scenes segment with that where um she's kind of saying i think i'm the only one that kind of sews at this scale and it's like yeah you're making like a one-tenth scale sweater and literally sewing it it's not using a machine or anything it shows her sewing this tiny sweater yeah i was reading obviously that's a big part of the movie and um I was just reading about it, and it said that, like, the stuff she was sewing was, like, the size of, like, hair. Yeah. So it's, like, that tiny. That's that you, stupid. It doesn't even make sense. But that's just a testament, I think, to the type of um, quality and talent that, like, it kind of brings on board. Um, and some interesting things about Leica is that it was uh, Will Vinton Studios before it was Leica, um, which was mainly just commercial stop-motion work. And they wanted to get into the feature animation um, kind of world. So they um, were seeking some funding. And uh, Phil Knight, the co-owner of Nike, kind of stepped in and started to fund that. And um, um, had Travis Knight, his son, kind of working on the team as like a uh, lead animator. Um, And once more and more time passed, eventually Phil Knight just outright bought... um, Will Vinton Studios and renamed it Leica. And there was also Leica House, which was... Um, so they had Leica Studios, which would be their feature animations. And they had uh, Leica House, which was still their commercial work, which I think is how they are staying in business right now. Because um, we'll touch about on it later about box office. But 
Um, so that nowadays, how special is what their commercial div division is called. It kind of spun off of Leica. Uh, so it's still under the same umbrella, but it's not technically Leica. Um, and at first, they were going to do stop motion and CGI animated movies. And they even had a CGI animated movie in development concurrently with Coraline called like Jack and Ben's Animated Adventure. There's almost nothing out there that there's like concept art or something you can find. And that just got um, canceled, which unfortunately left to some uh, led to some layoffs. Um, the, after Coraline, they kind of laid off their entire computer animated division. And we're like, we're just going to do stop motion, which I think is the right move for them if that's what they really want to do. Um, but eventually Travis Knight would step up and kind of act as the president and CEO of Leica and go on to direct Kubo, which uh, some say is their best movie. Um, he also directs, um, directed Bumblebee in the live-action world and recently signed on to do the Uncharted movie. So he's making moves out there. Um, I think he has a good eye for especially action and stuff like that, and you can see that um, in Kubo and in Bumblebee. Um, my thing is that, you know, maybe the story needs to be there as well. But With Uncharted, hopefully it's already there. Yeah, well, that. I mean, it's been in development for seven years. Yeah. It better be there. Yeah. But, I mean, multiple directors keep dropping out because of creative differences. So I wonder that what that means. That makes me nervous. I wonder what that means. Um, some other things um, which is interesting is that they actually helped in the production of Corpse Bride, oh. which I thought was interesting. Really? Yeah. Um, and um, a small little factoid is that they just shoot their movies on a Canon 5D. Love that. So you're used to like Ari Alexas and red cinema cameras and they just shoot their movies and on a 5D, which is crazy. Um, but yeah, there's so many, like just watching behind the scenes for like a movies every time. And they know that people like watching it too because they are like consistently, every time there's a new movie, they put out like 10 videos of behind the scenes stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of times too, they're, they don't even shy away from it and show it. They just own their kind of craft and show it in the credits, sometimes you'll see that in their movies where they show, like instead of bloopers or anything that you would see traditionally in credits, they show some behind-the-scenes work, which basically just helps you appreciate a whole bunch more of um, just the effort. Because, I mean, we talked ad nauseum about it with Wallace and Gromit, but like this is kind of a whole new thing where it's not claymation. It's just pure puppeteering yeah. and stop motion and stuff like that, which is just a whole nother beast and they use similar things like they use still the um, skeleton and stuff like that very similar to how claymation is done but they have different kind of bodies and puppets built specifically for these um, and they kind of take off the mouth and put on um, new um, mouthpieces for depending on what your dialogue is being said and you can even see it with Bobinski you see the lines mm -hmm. most of the characters it's hidden but for some reason Bobinski you see the lines where they take off his mouth and kind of replace it um, uh, Coraline had a 60 million dollar budget and it grossed 124 million um, worldwide and I think this is the only like a movie that made a profit in the box office which is sad I can't I literally can't believe that like or if it does or if they do it's by like five million mm. or it's like literally just recouping costs of the movie because you still got marketing and stuff like that which isn't really factored to the budget when you look it up um so yeah it's just sad I'm glad this one and it's still getting recognition and credit um especially when Halloween comes around um but we see that more and more with like a movies like Missing Link was a complete box office failure um, even Kubo, with the critical success that it had, really struggled to make back its money. Um, 
And that's why I hope that kind of like a sticks around because I really like their stuff. Even Missing Link, which isn't a fantastic movie by any means, just sitting in the theater and watching that movie was awesome because you can see like just visually it's insanely it's worth watching just on the visuals alone. The story's a little weak. Um, Hugh Jackman's fun and Zach Galifianakis is fun in it. But overall, the visuals is what really would bring me back to that movie. And they just have such a unique style and they put so much care into their work. And you can tell that they really love stop motion. Um, so if if it does go down, which I feel may be inevitable, but they got Nike money and it's kind of Travis Knight's um, kind of baby they're not, I feel like the dad and they got enough money to keep it going if they wanted to. Yeah. Um, but hopefully they can because they make some cool stuff. And they got some more properties that apparently they're going to adapt. There's this something about the woods. I forgot what the title of that one is, but they also got something called Goblins or something that they're going to adapt, which is cool that they keep getting these kind of children's properties or like kind of short stories that they're going to adapt and these stop motion stuff. Because um, some may say, Coraline may be their best movie and that's adapted from something so maybe that might be where they shine um anyways do you have any specific kind of like small little details that because we watched a couple behind the scenes videos and um yeah I mean I have a few notes written of just like little things like obviously like it took them in general probably like four years to make this sucker um specifically to animate like you're talking 20 months um it took a team of 450 people. Um, Animator-wise, you're only talking 30 to 35 people, but you got to think of all the technicians. We talk yeah. about the people who just literally design the clothes mm-hmm. and everything. The, the puppets, there's a, there's a, the painters for the sets. Yeah, there's so many people that go into it. It's crazy. Uh, I know with Walsh and Gromit, we talked about how that movie kind of mixed stop motion with uh, some CGI, and this movie was pretty much all practical. Uh, I was reading that even with, like, flames and stuff, mm-hmm. they, they like, did it traditional stop-motion-style yeah. flames, and then they would pretty much paint them digitally. And so. you can you can even see um, there's, like, a scene where, like, the teapot goes off, and you can see that they just used cotton as, like, yeah. the smoke through it, which is, I think I like those touches. Yeah, I think there's a scene where there's fog, and I was reading that they used dry ice. That's cool. So they tried their best, you know, to yeah. do everything as authentic yeah. as possible. You, but you do see as, like, it kind of goes on, they start um, embracing uh, merging visual effects with stop motion and oh, okay. even got them uh, with Kubo a nomination for... Um, and best animated feature and best visual effects, which is really cool. And I think it was the first one to do that since oh. Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, that's fitting. Yeah. So they, um, they definitely start embracing that CGI kind sure. of stuff. But the amount of work that you see them still doing stop motion-wise is insane. Yeah. Because they're doing so much more than what you would normally see in a stop motion movie, I feel. Because mm-hmm. I think they're animating still at 24 frames per second, which is just stupid. That's stupid. Why would you do that? Because um, you see Wes Anderson for his stop motion movies animates on twos, um, and uh, I feel they like that, that just matches they want his that style shit too. Smooth baby, they want it smooth. So they basically made it so that when Luca Sasita watches the opening scene, he's like, "This isn't stop motion, is it?" It's exactly what yeah, it is. It That's is, the baby. difference right there. Yeah, it is. Um, just a couple other notes. Uh, I, I think when it comes to stop motion, I'm really just fascinated with how the little puppets work and that sort of thing. And 
uh, I was reading. I mean, you touched on it earlier, um, how the faces are kind of yeah. cut in half. So they have all the parts for the bottom and the top. So you can you get all these. You know, they had over 200,000 different facial expressions made for all Stupid. the characters and stuff. It's I love the kind of thing when they pull out the drawer and they got all yeah. these mouths there. Um, the th- another thing that uh, I thought was really cool is that I went to a career center in high school and we had a 3D printer. Mm-hmm. So I'm somewhat familiar with how that works. But they... 3D printed a lot of stuff yeah. for this movie, which I think, oh, I didn't even think of. Like, yeah. um, a lot of the facial expressions you see come from their mm-hmm. 3D prints yeah. and obviously little stuff like doorknobs yeah. and that little thing. So that's cool that they're taking advantage of that sort of technology. Um, we talked about the scene earlier with the the theater that's full of dogs. Yeah. Um, yeah, they had like 500 dogs. And they had like a crank that would like animate all of them. That would move them all. It's crazy. It's just, yeah. And, like, just for that scene specifically, we talked about how, um, and I suggest watching all of Leica's kind of behind-the-scenes videos, especially if you've seen their movies. Um, they released one that is um, focused on that scene in particular, that it basically is going into how much needs to be done for one frame of animation. And this guy has the set, and he goes, and it's just, you see the set, there's a camera prepped, he has his laptop, he's going to kind of squeeze in there to do everything, and he has, like, 15 stops behind that he has to move stuff, and he has little etchings where he needs to move it for each frame. And even one of them, he has to get a magnifying glass to see the minute kind of. Can you imagine change. being like seventy and having to do that? Oh my God, kill me, dude! You like, got like, the, like we just got a glimpse of one set yeah. of just tiny animation, and there's a hundred and fifty sets for this movie. Yeah. So it's just I can't. E- I literally can't even imagine just the stuff that mm-hmm. they, they and, like. And it's like as this is happening, there's like. 10 other people doing the exact same thing. Yeah, they all are doing separate stuff too. So, and like, yeah, literally, okay, so now I'm moving the background because all these different panels have to move. So, I'm going to move this. I got this little crank that moves them all. So, they are all are synced. I'd literally start to lose my mind. And then it's like he has to go in and do the character last Mm -hmm. because um, he doesn't want to like mess with anything if he's, it's stupid. And, like, what blew my mind is the magnifying glass thing. Like, he literally said, okay, I had to make these markings, but I can't see them. So I have to pull out a magnifying glass and move it that much. And it looks flawless in the movie. It's insane. Um, some other small little th- stuff is, um, like, the score in the movie I really love. I feel like it adds to that extra layer, layer of eeriness. Mm-hmm. And kind of to achieve that, you get these kind of... Um, kids child voices kind of singing this what sounds like a foreign language like you know maybe latin backwards or something it's literally just gibberish Hmm. they told the kids just to sing Sing gibberish, just hit the note but sing gibberish and that's why it sounds so weird and off-putting but it's also a little like charming and it's like straight up just they're singing gibberish but it like works (laughs) so well um and i i wonder because there's uh different times where um adults are doing the songs too um and they're kind of in that same style I wonder if they're actually doing the language or if they're just doing gibberish as well. Because I feel like you would tell the kids that if it's like Latin or Mm -hmm. something like that, and they're just like, just Just sitting Um, And also one thing I wanted to point out is something that you kind of had an interest in, and I was wondering if you did, if you looked into it, if you were able to find anything, but uh, specifically rain and stop motion. Were you able to find anything? No, I didn't. I, I... 
I, I have if no idea. If anyone how knows that works. how they do rain and stop motion, yep. if it's just visual effect, but it can't be because it's there was one when it's the outside of Pink Palace and you see it hitting the sign, kind of running down know. the sign. I literally, I I have no idea. And it's always the thing that I because I, I'm right there with there's you. No it's way always you can the thing do that I look for. One at a time, like on a string, all going. There's no chance. I have no idea. There's no chance. So that's one thing that I always like look for. You'd have to actually do videos. it and then basically be all and just get it dry i don't know i have no idea i'm pretty sure it's like just from an overlay standpoint it's Mm -hmm. probably visual effects Mm -hmm. but once you get into it landing on physical objects i don't know i literally don't know how yeah i was gonna say like you could morph them together pretty much just the location and then yeah i don't know i don't know but the raining stuff looks great in the movie. That's it's gonna, to yeah, it's point. gonna be a reoccurring segment. It's Rain just, and stop motion. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, yeah. Like, how did they even possibly do that? This like movie, the money like, shot. Well, like, there's some Wallace and Gromit stuff that we talked about where it's like, hmm, how did this one has a ton of oh, like? Yeah. I have no idea how they freaking did that. Yeah. Especially knowing that like the majority of it at this point too was physical mm-hmm. and stop motion, like actually animated stop motion wise, is just crazy. Yeah. Like, especially, yeah, like, my vote for the money shot of the week is the train shot. Because I, I still... The train shot or the Walsh and Gromit pull away, if you had to pick one of the two. The pull away. Yeah. Because it has more... Um, it adds more to the story. It does. Where the train shot just looks cool. hmm Okay. Like, it really doesn't add much. Okay. Um, but that's the I feel like by the end of the line. season, we should, like, I'm just going to... Rank top... Yeah, money well, shots. I'm just going to see what stands by the end. Well, of what's that. our, did we say what our money shot would be for Iron Giant? Um, is it the deer? The, like, creation that's what of I Adam? Picked, is that's that? my favorite okay. shot in the movie, so I'd go with that. That's that's a money shot, dude. Oh, yeah. Um, Okay. I mean, I guess it's time, that time. What's the Luca moment of Coraline? Do you have any guesses? The Coraline song. Okay. You're probably right. You're probably right. <laughs> what? Um, well, there's three things that really stick out to me when I'm watching it. The song obviously is freaking fabulous. You know, like you talked about it before, just how the two worlds are opposite but similar. Like you said, how there's boxes that are uh were stacked. Now there's bookshelves and I love he's it. playing like just that world flip. I instantly love. And the song that he's singing is great. It's the main theme of the song or the movie. It's just. I can't not walk away and be yeah. like, if there's any scene I'm going to talk. If I was just going to show somebody, like Coraline, yeah. it's probably like within that yeah. first time that she goes yeah. to the other world. Oh yeah, there's um, like such a sense but the of climax of the movie where it turns into a whole spider web thing. Yeah. Oh man, dude, it's insane. That's money too. Yeah. Especially since you look at the set and it's like, yeah, they literally just had a white background that they were kind of blasting light through. And they like built this freaking spider web, dude. It's stupid. It's stupid. What are the name of the the two actresses in the story that like to have their own song and they're on stage and they're? You're really gonna do this to me right well, now? Well, just I wanted to at least touch on the fact that like it's spink enforceable. I'm not sure which one is which. The blonde one that's got the the forcible. Forcible. I don't know. I'm guessing. I just they they. Re- I could see how it could raise some eyebrows that during her song, she's not wearing anything, anything up top other than covering the nips. Yeah. So it's like, wow, they're freaking going for it and they're not holding any punches. Yeah. I think they, 
they literally just made the characters how they were described in the book. Imagine animating that. That's the thing. I was like, oh my god. I well, like even. that. He even pointed. He's like, I feel like it'd be a little disingenuous to touch it. So I made this little tool <laughs> that kind of I can go, I can plug in and kind of move them that like that. That's stupid. Yeah. So I guess if I had to pick, long story short, I'll, I will go with the song. I think that that it's it's definitely the safe pick. But if I'm going to show, if I'm going to talk about anything or show anybody anything, mm-hmm. it's that. Just like the whole first time in, just yeah, adds that so whole, much. There's a sense of awe. There's a sense of eeriness. And how it's set up, yeah. too. Is, the production yep. design's insane. All, like, the pop of color for the first time in the movie as mm-hmm. well. Um, yeah, that's. I think that's a great moment. Um, some for Camera Corner with Nate, um, I'd say the train sequence, of course, is brilliant. But I also love, um, once again, and especially stop-motion-wise, like the POV stuff. Um, at the beginning, that whole opening sequence, I think, is animated perfectly. I love the POV kind of stuff, as well as during the um, the actress's kind of performance in the other world, that like the trapeze sort of shots that they get from looking down at Coraline as she's holding down, and I don't know how they do it. It's like some of that stuff's just crazy. Um, and uh, I kind of like when, especially in stop-motion stuff, where they do stuff with the camera where I'm like, Okay, it's already a challenge animating a normal shot in a stop motion movie, and then you're gonna just throw out these crazy ones and still somehow animate it perfectly. It's insane. So those are the two that kind of stand out um, for me. Even even I love the, of course, it's kind of less involved, but like that pull out to kind of reveal um, Coraline's head, and it's all lit up and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Do you have a favorite favorite kind of voice performance in this one? Dakota Fanning is Coraline. I like the cat. A hundred percent. Yeah, the it's cat. the cat I think for that's sure. Keith David, perfect voice for it. Absolutely. The first time he talks, you're a little jarred. Yeah. Like, yeah, it makes sense. Yep. Yeah, yep. it adds to it. Um, yeah, but I also love that just Ian McShane is the <laughs> Russian guy, which is crazy. Um, and yeah, just a small cast, but they all do the job. The other mother and mother, whoever voices them, does a great job as well. Uh, shouts out to Henry Selick as well for stepping in and directing this movie. Um, doesn't get enough credit, I feel. People think it's Tim Burton. A lot instantly. of people think that this is a Tim Burton movie. Nope. <laughs> Would you? Okay, here's a hot take. Okay. In a little conversation spot on the Antunes pod. Okay. You're the one that usually asks this or that sort of thing. So would you say that Coraline in The Nightmare Before Christmas what would you compare it to on Tim Burton's side? What do you think is, do you think these are better than Tim Burton's movies? Or do you think that Tim Burton has stuff that's better than those two? Because um, if I'm thinking about it, I don't know if I like anything as, like Tim Burton, I like Tim Burton stuff, but I don't know if, I think I like this stuff more than I'm Tim trying Burton's. to think of like animated stuff. But like when I think like of Tim Burton, Bride. I don't, yeah, I don't really think of Corpse Bride and that sort of, like when I think of Tim Burton, I'm thinking Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking Batman. Batman. That was um, the only one that for Batman for me is. I mean, you know, obviously the is great, um, well, Alice in Wonderland, all those. Frank kind of, and Weenie. Frank and Weenie. Did you see Frank and Weenie? Uh uh-uh. uh I've never seen it either. Uh, I don't know. I feel like that he has such a distinct style. Yeah. And look. Yeah. That anything that remotely looks like that. Falls on everyone instantly thing. Mm-hmm. Your mainstream audiences instantly. So a lot, I can get why a lot of people are like, Coraline, oh, it's Tim Burton's yeah. best thing. No. Nope. Yeah. 
It's not. Um, Especially with Coraline, where he literally didn't touch anything about it. I mean, it. Corpse Bride is good, but I think that Coraline is, like, some next-level yeah. stuff. Um, I don't know. I mean, if I'd pick – it's it's hard to, to pick between those two, if mm-hmm. I'm being honest, just because they're – in style, I guess, they look similar, but they're – the, the stories and whatnot, yeah. I don't think are very similar at all. Um, I think that if, I guess it's it's whatever mood I'm in. Um, like I don't know how to compare Coraline and to something like Batman. Yeah, I don't know. I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that Henry Selleck gets if little it, to no credit ever. Okay, so if it comes to if we're talking just animated movies, yeah. It, he's yeah. he's the man, you know. Every the two movies, everyone, you know, everybody talks about the Nightmare Before Christmas. It's the it's the freaking movie. It's the stop motion. Yeah. Everybody loves it. It doesn't matter if it's Halloween or Christmas. The argument still stands today. Um, yeah, he definitely. If I if that's your what you're saying is that he doesn't get enough credit, yeah. I'm right there with yeah. you. And I think that even just I, the animation is so good that I didn't know it was stop motion at first. I was confused. I was like, <laughs> what the heck. There's no did, way that this did is... Did they lie to me and say that this is yeah, stop motion? Yeah, I was, I was so confused at the at first. It's just when it comes to stop motion, um, I you know, it's almost unmatched. You know, it's it's phenomenal, yeah. the work that they do. So even comparing it to something like Frank and Weenie, which I can say I haven't seen, I can't even... It's not even on the yeah. same level. All right. Do you got anything to add about Coraline? Hell yeah. Because <laughs> the dad in the movie in the real world is wearing a Michigan State t-shirt. Oh, yeah. the entire, that's where they moved from. From Michi- yeah. I'm from it. Uh, they moved to Oregon from Michigan. So he's rocking a Michigan State tee. Instantly respect. Are you freaking kidding me? Is that, is that why the dad's your favorite character? Oh, I don't even think the dad's my favorite character. But he definitely gets a nod of the cab, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. I just had to throw that in, that in there because the character design, it's like that little of a yeah. detail to throw like a freaking Michigan, Michigan State sweatshirt on there. I hope my homegirl knitted that shit. I oh, mean, 100%. Yeah. That, that's the real thing I respect is the Michigan State sweatshirt. Out of it. the whole movie. Yeah. That's the only thing I take away <laughs> is like, okay, I like this movie. But yeah, I mean, yeah, that's just a testament to the amount of detail work that sure. kind of goes into it. That they moved from Michigan, so they're like the character choices that he would wear. Well, I was reading movie. that they were going to go with U of M, but somebody like on the team was an alumni and said, nah, da, 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 da. now we're throwing an MSU sweatshirt that's in there. Sweet. So I'm about it. That's sweet. I respect it. That's the only thing I wanted to add. All right. Well, once again, another fun episodes of On Twos. Uh, two back-to-back kind of stop-motion claymation movies, um, but we're in full full swing on the spooky season. Would you like to reveal what the next movie that we'll talk about is? Only if I can get a drum roll. Since it was my pick, I'm holding no punches. We are doing Scooby-Doo Zombie Island. I'm ready. I haven't seen this in uh, maybe 20 years. <laughs> now, if we're talking frightening, this movie, this will creep you out too. All right. I literally remember nothing about it. Good. Good. I, I don't even know where we can watch it is the problem as well. <laughs> really? We'll figure it I don't out. Know, maybe Prime Video or something has it. Um, but yeah, we're shifting gears from kind of stop motion back to back and kind of going to... It is technic- It was straight to DVD, right? I don't. I don't know. Like a TV movie straight to DVD. I think it's only like seventy minutes long. I feel I don't know because obviously there's so many Scooby Doo movies. Yeah. Um, they all kind. Of, I don't know because I guess they're TV movies, but 
this one I feel I've always looked at Zombie Island as like the one. This like that's what I hear is that this one is the Scooby Doo animated movie, and but I remember watching one. So like I don't I don't know if it went to theaters or not. Yeah. I, I was so young when it. I, mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. But I saw a re- recent kind of emergence of stuff. I think the sequel came out recently. They recently did a sequel. I saw that. That's and, freaking weird. Um, people on Reddit were kind of talking about how it's an underappreciated gem. So I'm excited to kind of jump back. Zombie Island? Yeah, like oh, the first one. Yeah, so I'm ready if, no, to if somebody doesn't it. like Scooby-Doo Zombie Island, then it's like, I don't even know why I'm talking to that yeah. person. What the heck? But I'm excited. I love Scooby-Doo. Yeah. I, love those, I remember watching Hell like yeah. the Kiss. I'm ready. The Kiss crossover one. Oh, yeah. I remember the watching the one when they go Cyber into, Chase. Yeah, that's, that's the sleeper. Say. That's the one that doesn't get the credit it deserves. Zombie Island, it's like, yeah, everybody's like. What's, that, what's the alien one where they like go to Alien Invaders? Yeah. Or... It's something like that. And then there's the one with the witches. Yep, that's the one. Is that the one that crosses over with Kiss? I'm sure that they still hang. That's not the movie. Like, Kiss isn't in that movie. But <laughs> there, there's a ton. There's so many that they overlap, kind yeah. of. Yeah, I love Scooby-Doo, so yeah. I'm ready. Yeah, Can't, couldn't be more excited. All right. Well, thank you for joining me, Luca. And thank you all for listening to another episode of On Twos. We'll be back next week with Scooby-Doo. Is it just... Zombie Island? Yeah. Okay. We'll be back with Scooby-Doo Zombie Island. Thank you.